Jesus, hallelujah, what a Savior. And what a wonderful song and what a wonderful evening to be together as any time is when God's people come together interested in his truth and wanting to glorify him. Thank you for being here tonight. If you're visiting with us, you're our special guest and we want you to feel comfortable listening to God's word and praising him. And if you have questions about what we're doing, please get with us after services and we'll be happy to answer any of those things that you have in mind in light of the scriptures. Well, I don't know if you've uh, noticed, if you've been under a rock or something the last couple of weeks, you may not have noticed, but, uh, you know, the big thing about the Super Bowl two weeks ago is not the Super Bowl, it's actually the ads that go along with the Super Bowl. So, you know, companies spend millions and millions of dollars just to get one minute uh, of advertising on the Super Bowl, during the Super Bowl. And... um, there is um, a, a nonprofit group uh, called He Gets Us that has had quite a number of ads on television, social media over the last couple of years. I've mentioned a couple of them at times in my preaching. And uh, the one they aired during the Super Bowl, Super Bowl went viral, to say the least, uh, for a number of reasons. And I'd like to talk about the content of that ad tonight and think with you about um, its message, some of which might be considered good, but some of which I think uh, needs to be changed. So the particular ad that came out during the Super Bowl, there were actually two of them, but the one that really got everybody's attention Uh, It showed a montage of different people getting their feet washed, usually by somebody who was on the opposite end of the political or racial or whatever spectrum than they are. Uh, And at the end of the ad, the uh, caption came on the screen, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. He gets us, all of us. So the pictures that were shown in the ad included a police officer washing the feet of a a black man in a dirty dirty alleyway, showed an older woman washing the feet of a younger woman outside of an abortion clinic where the younger woman apparently had gone perhaps to get an abortion. That's, I think, what we're meant to think. It showed an older man washing the feet of a climate activist in the middle of a desert oil field. It showed what looks like an illegal immigrant getting her feet washed in front of a a bus. Uh, It looked like some small American hometown, and the lady was, uh, you know, mid-American, whatever, and uh, she's washing this immigrant's feet as she gets off the bus. And then it showed a preacher washing the feet of a man who was obviously gay. So those were some of the images that were shown in that commercial. Is this a good illustration? Does it teach us something that Jesus wants us to know? Does it accurately convey who Jesus is and what he wants from us? As I said, there have been all sorts of social media posts, commentary. It's been on the news everywhere. If you paid attention to any of that uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, you've probably seen something about it. And so, as I said, it sparked uh, not only interest of a lot of people, but it piqued my interest as well. 
And I'd just like to make some observations on that and some of the concepts that it presents from Scripture. And maybe the first question we'll ask is, does foot washing indicate acceptance? I have no problem Jesus washing the feet of those who would act contrary to His will. I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, the night that He washed feet in John 13, that's exactly what He was doing. Every, the foot of, every foot that he washed that night was the foot of a sinner. There is no doubt about it. And among the sinners whose feet he washed that night was the very man who would betray him. And Jesus knew it when he washed his feet. If you want to turn with me to John 13, we'll look at the text in more detail just a little bit later in the lesson, but turn there with me now. And notice Jesus washing the feet of Judas. In John 13, the text actually begins talking about the setting. It's the feast of the Passover. Jesus knew his hours had come. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the very end, verse 1. Verse 2, supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he would come from, had come from God, was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself so that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus knew that Satan had entered Judas. We know he knew because in the process of washing feet, after he had washed Peter's feet in John 13 and verse 11, Peter says, well, you know, maybe you should wash my body also after all of that. But Jesus says, well, he's in verse 10, he was bathed only to wash his feet. It's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Now, Jesus washes the feet of his betrayer, knowingly. This act of humility. You know, foot washing in the first century was a common custom. The roads were made of dirt. People wore sandals. You come into a house like, you know, uh, housewives today, if I'm allowed to still use that term, don't like a lot of dirt getting into their house. Uh, and so you, you didn't want to bring dirt in the house, and so the custom was you came in the house, somebody would wash your feet. It was usually, if the household had servants, it was usually one of the servants who did that. If the household didn't have servants, it was usually the littlest child in the household that did that. So it was a menial task. It was a humiliating task, and I take note that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they had already eaten the supper. They'd been there for quite some time, and nobody had washed anybody's feet. No apostle apparently felt themselves to be low enough to wash anybody's feet. But Jesus lowered himself to wash everybody's feet, including the feet of Judas. Let me tell you a couple of things about Judas. He is not only the traitor and the betrayer, and Jesus will identify him as such in chapter 13 and verse 18. When he speaks about the apostles, he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He knew that somebody was there, that Judas was there who would betray him. He knew what was in him. Jesus said in verse 31, his spirit was troubled. He testified again and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
So Jesus knew who Judas was. What did Jesus think about that? What did Jesus know about Judas's spiritual condition? And in fact, being who he was and is, who is, by the way, the judge of all humanity, Jesus knew that Judas wasn't going to heaven. He knew he was washing the feet of a man who was lost. How do I know that he knew? That same evening, just a little bit later, in John 17, Jesus prays a prayer. And in the middle of that prayer, when he's praying for his apostles, in 17 and verse 12, he's praying to God, he's talking about his apostles. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You know what perdition means? It is ultimate destruction. What Jesus said is, I have kept all of them except for the one who's going to hell. Perdition is, in essence, you're going to hell. Jesus not only knew that, that very evening all the Judas had already left by this point, he said it. He verbalized it. That's whose feet I washed just a little while ago. The son of perdition. So what we learn from this is that washing feet, despite what might be implied in the He Gets Us commercial, is not necessarily a sign of acceptance. In fact, it's not a sign of acceptance at all. It's a sign of love and service. And in Jesus' case, something much bigger than that, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Well, foot washing doesn't really indicate acceptance, and I think we need to accept that. I wonder, and I'm not, you know, wanting to be all negative on this ad campaign or everything. I understand it comes from some good intentions. But I, I wonder why they didn't have somebody washing Hitler's feet. Why didn't they have somebody washing the feet of a KKK Klansman? You want to know what? Jesus would have. But that's not the message they want to get across. Jesus would have done both. The point is that in Scripture, foot washing, while an act of humble service, is not meant to convey acceptance of one's actions. It's not meant to convey tolerance of somebody living a life that's contrary to the teachings of our Lord. We can show love, and Jesus did, and we can serve others without condoning their sinful behavior. Jesus did, and that's what he wants us to do. So let's leave the foot washing aspect for a minute and get to the, you know, Jesus gets us. Yeah, Jesus gets us all right. And here's something that, uh, as someone who's a Christian, and probably if you've seen these ads, that particular ad, uh, you've thought to yourself, Jesus gets us. Well, of course Jesus gets us. But a lot of people in the world might not get that Jesus gets us, and I get that. <laughs> I understand that 
not everybody in the world, and maybe a lot of people in the world who don't know much about Jesus, might not realize how much He really understands us. They think of Jesus as somebody who's high and holy and some you know, ancient Jew who really doesn't understand their current situation at all. But let me tell you what, the Bible message is that Jesus gets us completely and fully more than anybody else ever could get us. He understands us. He understands us thoroughly. And may I suggest this three things to you really quickly. There is no doubt that Jesus gets us. First of all, He made us. He knows us inside and out. He knows our frame. He knows everything about us. And when I say that Jesus made us, I don't mean this in some general way. I mean He was in on the design and the fashioning of the human being from the get-go, from the very beginning. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul, talking about Jesus, says that by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus not only created everything, the whole world is about Him, the whole world was created for Him, that He might be the King and Savior of it all. God the Father wants it all to be for Jesus because He loves His Son. That's the Bible story. That's the Bible view of who Jesus is. In John chapter 1, John begins his great epistle, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus as the communication of God to man. And in verse 2 he says that He was, that is Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus, Jesus gets us like the designer of a computer gets the computer, right? The designer of a car gets the car. He understands that more than anybody else could possibly understand. He understands you and me inside and out. Secondly, Jesus came to earth from heaven and He lived a human life. He was fully God, but also fully man. And He lived a veritable human life. He was born, He was a child, grew up, received a secular education of sorts. That was his human side. As deity, that's a whole different matter. But as a human, he learned, he grew, he learned obedience, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 5, by the things that he suffered. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul describes <clears throat> this about Jesus, him coming to earth, that he was in the form of God, and yet, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's Philippians 2 and verse 6. Verse 7 says, But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of a man, and being found in appearance as a man, or one version says, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was born, he lived, he died as a human being. He experienced oppression and hate and disrespect, and grief, and sorrow. All of those things probably more than any of us will ever experience. When somebody says Jesus doesn't understand, I'm so oppressed, I'm so hated, I'm so disadvantaged, I'm so this, I'm so that, He understands. He lived it. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, speaking of Him in prophecy, says that He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. That's the treatment Jesus got on this earth. And finally, they crucified him. 
Jesus understands human suffering. He experienced weakness and temptation. He knows all about it. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, talking about him as our high priest, the writer says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, the word sympathize there means to feel what we feel. Jesus can feel what we feel. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted as we are. In all points. Tempted and the word also means tried as we are yet without sin. That's why He can help us. That's why He can not only get us and does get us, but He can help us out of what we are to become what we should be. He understands. He understands what it takes. Probably the only one that really does. Hebrews 2 and verse 18, in that He Himself has suffered being tempted, He is able to aid those who are tempted. I think it's rather odd and somewhat ridiculous that in the world that we live in, uh, a lot of people with certain kinds of problems like to find people with those same problems to try to help them. That is nuts. Find somebody who doesn't have the problem. Find somebody who's overcome it. Find somebody who's conquered it. Find somebody with the same problems you've got. How's that going to help? They don't know how to overcome it either. Jesus overcame, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is what a Savior. But the question is not does Jesus get us, but do we get Him, right? See, there's the problem. Do we get Him? It's wonderful to know how much Jesus understands this. And I desire and applaud the desire to get that message out. But we must never forget that whether or not He gets us, we had better get Him. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said to a bunch of Jews who did not get Him, he got them. He knew exactly who they were. He knew exactly what their problems were. He'd just been talking about all of them. But he says to them in John 8 and verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you get me, unless you understand who I am, you are going to die in your sins. Jesus, please understand, Jesus isn't a tool to be used to engineer societal change to our liking. He is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. That's who Jesus is. To take over your life. In John 1 and verse 10, John introducing Him to us says that He was in the world and the world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. The world didn't get Him. He made the whole world and the world doesn't know Him. There's the problem. Back in that prayer in John 17, Jesus had said at the beginning of it in John 17 and verse 3, this is eternal life, talking to God, that they may know You, 
The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. There's eternal life. There's what we need. There's life everlasting. And it involves knowing Jesus. Getting Jesus. And we need to make sure that we understand and know Him. Let's go back a little bit to the foot washing business. And I want to make a connection in your mind that is made, I believe, in the text of Scripture between foot washing and the cross. Jesus' greatest service demands our complete change. Jesus served us not by washing our feet. He didn't wash the feet of anybody in this room. What He did was He died for you on a cross. And the washing of the feet that He did of His disciples really represents that service, represents cleansing people from their filth. Let's think about it as it's presented in John 13. I said we go back to the text. We'll pick up John 13 and verse 6 where we left off. So he comes to Peter and uh, Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Peter's incredulous. How can our Lord, our Master, the one we believe to be the Christ, the Messiah, how can he be washing my feet? And Jesus answered him and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Bless his heart, right? (laughs) You shall never wash my feet. Peter's so impetuous, so off the cuff, so just speaking what's in his mind first thing all the time, seems like. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you've got nothing to do with me. What does Jesus mean there? What does Jesus mean by that? Think about that for a second. Peter says to him, well, in that case, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands, my head, everything. And Jesus then says, as we read earlier, he was bathed, he's only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. The washing of the feet is a very obvious metaphor for cleansing. The clean that Jesus is referring to there is clean in one's soul, in one's spirit. Judas was not clean. Did Jesus clean Judas by washing his feet? Nah. Did Jesus clean the apostles by washing their feet? Not literally, just from the physical Yes, but not, he didn't cleanse their souls in that way, right? Please understand that the lesson Jesus is trying to teach his apostles does have to do with humility and service. They needed to learn that. It's a great lesson. In fact, Jesus makes that exact point, doesn't he, in verses 12 through 17. The point of all this, here's what I've done. I'm your teacher and Lord. You say that, and you say, well, for so I am, verse 13. Verse 14, if your Lord and teachers have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I give you an example. I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. A servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You need to wash one another's feet. You need to serve one another in humble and menial ways. None of you is greater than anybody else. Get out on your knees and serve somebody. It's a great lesson for them and for us. But 
please, going back now to the context that we looked at in the middle of all of this, what is Jesus saying? He says, unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. You have no cleansing. How is Jesus going to cleanse us? By the shedding of His blood. Unless I admit that my soul is dirty and I allow the King of kings and the Lord of glory to wash me clean in His blood, I will never be clean. The washing of the feet becomes a metaphor for the cross and the cleansing that Jesus offers every human being at the cross. Here, when I was talking earlier about washing feet, you know and I know that Jesus would wash Hitler's feet. He would wash a KKK member's feet. He would wash the worst criminal you've ever... He would, wa- he would wash their feet. We know that. He washed Judas's feet knowingly. How do you know intuitively? How do you know for sure that Jesus would do that? You know how you know, don't you? Because He died for all. He died for them. He gave Himself for every last one of us. A much greater and humiliating sacrifice than washing somebody else's feet. It's what Jesus went through on the cross for every last human being. No matter what they've done. No matter who they are. Jesus died for them. That's what washing feet really symbolizes. And that's what Jesus is saying. Brother Terry Benton was commenting on this uh, recently. I saw a social media post he put out. I'm going to read a little little bit of that to you. He said, Jesus washed dirty feet to illustrate cleansing souls of sin. If one intended to stick their feet directly in the mud after cleaning, the point was lost. Many did not want Jesus' service on the cross. Many do not want Jesus' service on the cross because they don't want to stop their sin. They don't feel they need cleansing from sin. I'm adding that. But Terry says, many did not want Jesus' service on the cross because they love the dirt of sin and do not intend to get entirely clean. Jesus is not about washing feet and approving of us dirtying our footsteps. Clean up the direction you step in life. That is what Jesus came to illustrate with foot washing. Keep your feet to step more carefully, not to commit them right back to the mud. In John chapter 8, there's a well-known story of a woman caught in the act of adultery. And the Jews bring her to Jesus thinking they've got here a situation where they're going to have to put, you know, going to put Jesus in a difficult spot. He's going to have to say something that uh, people aren't going to like and it's going to turn people against him. So they bring this woman to Jesus. They say, you know, the law of Moses said we should stone her. What do you say? Jesus wasn't going to answer them at first. He stoops down and writes in the ground. They keep on asking him. And he raises up and he says, well, let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone. 
And they all think about that a second and turn away and go home from the eldest to the youngest. And Jesus is left alone there with the woman. And he looks up and he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one that accuses you? She says, no. Is there no one that condemns you? No. Neither do I. Neither do I. And you see the graciousness of the Lord, of a person caught in humiliating sin and brought in a very public way, really to shame her and to try to embarrass Jesus. You see His grace. You see His love for the sinner. And then He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. See, that's the message of the foot washing that wasn't in the ad. In the ad, it was, Jesus is going to wash your feet because He accepts you just like you are and doesn't expect any different. He's, he's not only not going to condemn you, He's not going to ask you to change. Everybody just accept everybody. That's the problem. Jesus' actions and words were actions and words of love. They were also accompanied by a message of repentance. Repentance is this change of mind, change of the heart, change of the inward man, where you're going one direction in life, sullied with sin, just continuing to dig your hole deeper and deeper, and suddenly, because of Jesus, you turn around and you turn in the complete opposite direction and head toward Him and seek Christ-likeness and seek heaven itself. And that's repentance. As I pointed out in times past in the Gospel of Mark, as Mark tells the story of Jesus' ministry, he has in the early verses of the Gospel of Mark, the ministry of John the Baptist. And then he begins to tell us about Jesus. And the very first words that Jesus speaks to us in the Gospel of Mark are found in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. And Jesus says, first words out of His mouth in that Gospel, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. The first message Jesus ever preached was a message of repentance. You need to change. He did not come to people saying initially, I'm just going to accept everybody. Doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. He's saying, doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing, you need to repent. You need to repent and believe the Gospel. No matter who you are or what you're doing. Loving and serving another no matter who they are, is a vital calling of the Gospel. It is not, however, the core message of the Gospel. People need the greater cleansing that can only come through the blood of Christ. Yes, we all come to Jesus you know, just as I am. That's the only way we can come. We can't clean ourselves up before coming. 
Jesus is going to cleanse us. We come to Jesus just as I am. But Jesus loves us too much to leave us that way. Far too much. The gospel does not leave sinners in despair. There's a preacher of a denominational ilk in Northern Ireland. When this video came out, this ad on Super Bowl, he made a, another video that he thought expressed what should have been expressed. It was similar to the one that the uh, He Gets Us people came out with, but his was different. It showed people not having their feet washed, but just people, sinners, that Jesus gets. And here are some of the people that were shown in the, fo- in the photos and the titles, the uh, captions that were put under each picture. You may, some of you may have seen this. Here's a picture of a woman who Jesus gets. Former witch. Next picture. Former right-hand man of Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is a famous atheist. Former right-hand man of Richard Dawkins. Next picture, former jihadist. Next picture, former KKK member. Next picture, former drug addict. Next picture, former gang leader. Next picture, former drag queen and prostitute. Next picture, former abortionist. Next one, former transgender. Next one, former porn star. Next one, former new age guru. Next one, former lesbian activist. Jesus got every one of them. The message of that was they got him. And that's why they're former. Because when you get Jesus, you're going to repent. He gets us. Do we get him? Peter's presentation in Acts chapter 3 of who Jesus is and what Jesus asks and what Jesus offers is, I think, not studied enough by us. We know it's there. Jesus, Peter rather, heals the lame man. A huge crowd of Jews come together in Solomon's porch. Peter sees it and he takes the opportunity to preach the gospel. And he asks the people, I'm reading now from Acts chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? This lame man was now walking. Everybody knew he'd been lame. Peter says, don't look at us. We didn't really do this. Jesus did it. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, who was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He's talking about Barabbas there. But you denied the Holy One, the just. You asked for the murderer to be granted to you. You killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So here's Jesus. And Jesus died for you. And in fact, you killed him, but he still died for you. Peter picks it up in verse 17. And he says, Now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. 
And then Peter says this. Here's Jesus. Do you get him? You see who he is? You see what he's done? Died for you on a cross? Healed this lame man? Peter says this. Repent. And let every one of you be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the response to Jesus. On his website, the He Gets Us folks say that their work, and I quote now, represents the input from Christians who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as well as many others who, though not Christians, share a deep admiration for the man that Jesus was. And we are deeply inspired and curious to explore his story. So some of these people that are putting this out aren't even Christians. Don't really believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and they're trying to help us to get Jesus. And, well, not really, right? But then he goes on to say, we look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. I think you might know what I'm about to say about that. The thing about applying a modern lens to timeless and eternal teachings and to timeless and eternal Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is it will never work. It subordinates his teaching to the fleeting feelings of modern men, or should I say postmodern men, and it nullifies the very person of Christ. All right. Thank you for paying such close attention. I want to end with this. It was something we said to begin with, quoted from the He Gets Us people. They had said, Jesus gets us. He didn't teach hate. He washed feet. Now, the thing I'm about to say is probably going to um, shock a few of you. That's probably good. We need to aware, be aware of it. Jesus taught hate. He absolutely taught hate. And if we don't understand that, we don't get Jesus. First of all, the Bible says that Jesus loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. Sin is lawlessness, 1 John 4, 4. Jesus hated sin. He hates sin. There's no doubt about that. Secondly, his message of hate is precisely the reason people don't want to know him and don't want you to know who the real Jesus is. They don't want you to know that he taught hating sin. And they don't want you to know that he wants you to hate everything in this world in comparison to how much you love him and how much you're willing to change for him and that you're willing to give your life totally for him. They don't want you to know that. How much... He's calling you to love Him and give up everything else. 
For Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, and that's the big key, his own life, you cannot stay as you are. Nobody, nobody can stay as they are and follow Jesus. I don't care what you are, what you've been. Nobody stays as they are and follows Jesus. You've got to hate it. And if we don't hate it, we don't get Him. And we're not saved. You don't hate your life. You cannot be my disciple. Jesus came to teach us to wash feet. Yes. To teach us to serve. To serve anybody and everybody. Absolutely. But He came mainly to save us. And to change us. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We're going to sing a song right now. And if you're in need of responding to who Jesus really is, and turning away from sin in your life, whatever it might be, whatever you have done. If you need help with that, you want to confess it publicly, that's a great thing to do. We'll pray with you and for you. And it will help you. If you need to deal with it privately, that can be good too. But if we can help you tonight in any way, please come while we stand and while we sing.